And then after that, when I lost my money, everything, and I was on the ground, I was, then my definition of success changed overnight. So now, for me, success is not just about when I achieve that one million ringgit, but it's more into how many people I can impact or how many people I can bring to achieve greater things. So success not necessarily have to be money. It can be a change of lifestyle. It can be a change of how the community live uh, from being in the poverty into having their own dignity to choose in life. Welcome to Better Business Founder, the podcast for purpose-driven business founders seeking to build a meaningful business on their own terms. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how better business founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Are you ready to create change with your business? If so, let's go. How can you create a better business in the fashion industry that provides not only jobs for mothers, but also dignity and skills so these women could achieve even greater things in their lives? And at the same time, create a new category of products in the very crowded market of fashion. Well, let's find out with today's guest, by Ahmad Zamri, founder of Naskid, a social enterprise in Malaysia that empowers local women through entrepreneurship by creating baby clothing. Bai aims to fight poverty by creating a sustainable community where the women not only create products, but are also trained to train others so they could potentially run a business by themselves in the future. Bai is another better business founder that has demonstrated true grit on so many occasions on her journey. She has overcome many challenges to take her business where it is today, and her brand is now sold in various parts of Asia. At the end of this conversation, she will share with us how she has adapted her business to cope with the COVID restrictions in a very practical and, I should say, surprising way. Once again, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with another better business founder, and I hope you will too. So please welcome, bye. Ahmad Zamri. Welcome, Bai. Where do you grow up and where are you located right now? Well, I grew up in Malaysia and I'm still in Malaysia. It's quite a warm country, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's always sunny. Mm -hmm. And which part of Malaysia? I'm currently in Jitrakada. It's the north area of the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, the neighbor of my state is actually Thailand. Oh, so it's really up north. Yeah. And can you describe the world you want your children to live in? Wow. That's a big wow, question. what a question. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hmm. I do imagine, but if I'm getting married and I have children, I want them to live somewhere green. Like mm. they walk up and they can see greens in front of them. That's how I see it now. The mountains, the, what do you call it, uh, the paddy field, the trees. I think that kind of world that I want to see my children waking up to every day. Mm, that's beautiful. That's, um, that's, I think this is also the image that I have from Malaysia. We don't think of Malaysia as um, a rainforest place. 
But actually, I think it's in Malaysia that you have one of the oldest rainforests in the world, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, it's still green right now in Malaysia, but still the percentage of the rainforest and the greens, it's quite, how to say, like, maybe less than before. And and perhaps we can keep it for our future generation, especially the kids. Uh, maybe my children in the future can still have it, maybe in the next 10 years. Oh, maybe in the next 10 years. That's very soon. <laughs> So you're the founder of NASKIDS. How is your brand, how is your business connected to this vision of the world that you've just described? Wow, it's so huge. Hmm. In NASKIDS, what we do is mostly to empower the woman. Mm-hmm. By empowering the woman, we also give them freedom. So basically, they can choose when they want to do work and how they want to do work. Because we treat them as a human. I treat them as a human. I look at them. When I see a woman, either they are a mother, a daughter, or a sister, or even a wife. So that's the reason why we give them a freedom in choosing when and how to do work. Because uh, for me, again, they are human. and And I guess the opposite of... Poverty is actually dignity for them to be able to choose. And so it's not basically being rich. But of course, when, you, when we are rich or when, when you are rich, you have the power to choose how you want to go with life. I guess that's also one way how I do it with the women that work with us in our kids or in the brand. I, I guess by treating them that way, then they can also take care of the children better. Mm-hmm. And in the same time, I would say um, perhaps it will create a better environment for the family uh, to keep going in the future. Why do you need to start your brand to provide jobs for these women? Because there's no jobs around there or is poverty endemic in this area? So Kedah is basically one of the, not really the poorest, but one of the poorest state in Malaysia. I would say like top five, around top five or top three. I can't really remember, but but it's around there. And when I'm moving back to my hometown, I figure out that so many shops closed down. And like, if you can see, or if you can imagine the two rows of shop lots, uh, only 40% of shops are open and the rest are closed. And this is even before pandemic. This was like last five years. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is it's quite hard for them to find job because most of them there do not have a higher education. So mostly they only have until high school and that's it. And the third one that I figure out, most of the women in my area or my, in my hometown, they get married early. Mm. And when they get married early, and when they have a husband and most of the husband there, they don't allow their wife to go out for work. And especially when they have babies. So it's in a way that we want to, to go around it. That's why we offer them work in, in Naskit. So it's not just for them to get income, but also for them to earn a living, to have their own skills on doing things. 
and also we want them to work from home. Um, even before the pandemic, they work from home. So they have this sewing machine from home. Yes. So we have two types of doing work. Either they come to our facility during do it at the home and where we bought the machines and do, do it there. And so do you provide them training? What kind of training do you provide them? So the training, basically, we firstly, we give them the uh, basic sewing skills. And it's also one way for us to give them an interview. So instead of doing the normal one-on-one interview, we basically open up a session, what we call it, a free sewing, basic sewing class. And we call like 10 to 15 of them to come over. So... In a way, it, that is an interview session. So we see, uh, we don't really choose people based on uh, what are the skills that they have at that time, but we see how they really want to move forward. So even though they don't have any skills, but they're willing to learn. So that kind of uh, characters that we're looking for to, not really to hire, I would say to join in as a uh, partners in NASKITS. Okay, and I think that you mentioned that the women that work for Nasket they have um they also enjoy a lot of freedom in their work in the sense that they take part into the even the design of the of the clothes, right? Yeah. So for the designs, mostly before we launch anything new, so we will discuss as a team, and we are also open to any ideas. For example, they say, "Hey, why don't we do this?" If they said that, oh, I have a design that I want to try, then I was, mostly we just say, yeah, go for it. Let's do it. Let's try and see what's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, we forgot to mention what's the main products that Naskids is selling. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Naskids, the product that we do is basically baby clothing, but we make it niche into a traditional Malay baby clothing whereby uh, most of the young parents will buy for the baby to wear it during an event that we call Akika, where they celebrate a newborn baby. So it's a very specific type of uh, traditional clothing baby that's been used for specific events. And I think you also mentioned that this brand is very popular among the royal family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what happened when we started doing it because we are cracking our head on what kind of products or what kind of clothing we want to sell because there are so many competitors out there. Uh, we started with only what do you call it a teenager size and then they keep asking for a small size and we end up in a baby size. And that's also our first time changing uh, a set that a male wearing during a wedding we changed that kind of set, wedding set into a baby size where nobody had made it before. So the attires basically came from a royal. Uh, I mean, during the ancestor time, it's only the royal wear it. And now suddenly you see a baby wear it. So it's very cute and people really want to buy it. And then that's where the words of mouth come in. And we do have a few royals. I mean, they're babies and also the celebrities because they said that it's it's so unique and they want their baby to have it during the special day. 
when you started your brand, you didn't really know what type of product you wanted to sell. And there's a lot of competition. And so what do you do to promote your product for people to find you, uh, for, for people to know that you're different? What did you do in terms of promotion and marketing? So when we started, of course, we don't have much money at that time. And we go all out into online. We go into Instagram. And that's at that time, that's the only platform that we use. So Instagram and we use so many hashtags. When we first started it for the first few months and people love the design, they buy it. So if even if, even if now you look back into my Instagram, we publish all the pictures of the babies that already wear our products. So basically we don't have any models to, to wear it. So most of the pictures we have is from the customer. And I would say the power of the pictures really attract another customer. And they would also, what do you call it? Uh, they would also um, market about us or even talk about us to the celebrities. For example, when celebrities say, hey, we have a new baby and we want to do something, uh, what kind of clothes that you think is suitable for a baby? Then suddenly I have so many tags of people tagging our brand, say, oh, why don't you try using this? Because they're, they're something different than others. So. The Instagram really helped us a lot for the first few years when we start. When you start your brand, because your model, I should say your management model is quite different. You give your staff a lot of freedom. I just wonder what's, what came first, um, the idea of this model or the idea of um, launching a brand? What came first for you to start this business? For me, I would say during the first few months itself, we go into launching the brand first. When we started, we only have like two women with us. And that's where we, we started with doing things with only two person. Because yes, of course, my initial plan is I want to help the community, but still without money, I can't help people. So the first thing is I have to launch the brand first. I have to make people know it. And then only we can grow slowly after that, which we did. And even, I guess, for the first three years, we grow by ourselves. We didn't get any grant. We didn't apply for grant. We only do like a small business loan because I can't really pay it out for the first few years. And basically, when, when we talk about it, it's about social business, where it's basically in the middle of being an NGO and being an, an enterprise with making profit. So before I can help more people, I have to make profit first. So that's where on the first year, we, we really go all out in terms of trying to build the brand first. And once the brand is, is, I would say, stable, then with the profit that we get, we roll it back to getting more people, as in for the production. Even if you're still quite young, it's not your first job. You've been working in the corporate sector before you launched this company. How was the transition? Was it a aha moment? Like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and start a company. How was the transition? Well, how did you feel at that time when you decided to quit your job to start this company? Oh, whenever I, I hear this question, I can still imagine my mom mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, what happened, so what happened is I come from a family business background. So I grew up seeing my mom do business. Uh, she has her own, what do you call it, a tailoring service. And I told her when I was still in university, I told her I want to start a business. And then she was like, oh, you can, but you have to work first to get experience. I said, 
okay, fine. If that's the rule, then that's where I go. After university, I went to KL, Kuala Lumpur, the capital city of the country. And I worked for three years, exactly, as she said, <laughs> in the corporate world, in the marketing and also as a personal assistant to the CEO. And right after that three years, I called my mom and said, it's three years now, I quit, I resigned. <laughs> and it's not, so it's not really an aha moment. So it's more to like challenging my mom. Right, yeah. okay. Okay, and it sounds that you were very confident at that time. You had no doubt. You knew that this is what you were going to do, right? And what you needed back then was just a validation or your obligation to what your mother that's it. Yes, yes, that's true. How was it in the first few years? Because you say that you were self-funded at the beginning and uh, obviously didn't have um, training in fashion business. So how was the first year with your business plan, with your loan, and then later on applying for grant? Because when you start your business, you needed to recruit the staff to help you make the gloves and so how was it starting well the first year meaning that right after i quit my job and i go back to my hometown uh, when i still cracking my head what to sell i basically just i i try out few other businesses before doing this baby clothing and i fail i mostly uh end up losing around uh sixty thousand ringgit which come up to around f- almost twenty dollar twenty thousand dollars so when it happened, I quit everything. After I quit my job, I quit everything <laughs> uh, because the business would fail. I went out for volunteering at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent almost a year volunteering in Laos, Cambodia, uh, and even in, in my own hometown for a for few months there. So in total, around one year. And what happened at that time, I realized that I love helping people. But then I don't think volunteering can help me in, in the long run. I still need my own salary. So that's where I go back and I was like, there must be something I can do around with helping people, but in the same time, making profit. Mm-hmm. And that's where the idea of social business came in. And, and that's how I start back by, how to say it, something like, uh, I, I go to my bank, so I have a saving, my last, my, what do you call it, my final, uh, my final resource. <laughs> so I go to my bank, say that I need, I need to use my final saving. You give it or not, I don't care. I have to use it. So I use that kind of money to restart again. That's where I get that two women for the first two women. And and thankfully, it's, it's, it goes well because I, I don't know if it's fail again and I guess I'm going to quit again and go out. But yeah, the first year was, was tight. We don't have enough money and everything. But at the same time, I have to pay uh, my two women. And the funny thing is that when, whenever we come up, for example, whenever we come up with a, a design for baby clothing, so what I do is we only do one sample, take a picture, post it on Instagram, and then I will go to the uh, fabric store and I snap all the colors they have. Wow. Then I, I put Instagram saying, yeah, this is the sample we have <laughs> <laughs> and this is the colors we have. Well, basically, we don't have it. Basically, <laughs> basically, we don't have it because we can't even afford to buy the rolls. Yeah, so you didn't have any stock. I don't, I don't. So whenever people start to order saying that, for example, oh, I want this sample with a royal blue color. Say, oh, yeah, sure, why not? I give, give us like three days, we'll do it. Uh, after, you, after you pay, 
for three days that we'll be curious out. So what happened is whenever people order, then only we go to fabric store and we only buy like two meters. Mm. That's it. Because that's how we cut our costs. Mm. So you really build the business from the ground up because at that time your resources were almost dried out. Yeah, I guess it's just when you have nothing left that you find the resources. Yeah. That's how you get most innovative and, uh, and try new things. I, I guess that that's, where, that's when people say, fake it until you make it. I think that you mentioned also something very interesting is that you also have a training center for women and girls, even though you don't promise them a job at the end of the training session of the training program, they still can come to your facilities and get a training. Can you explain, you know, what type of training and why you're doing this and how it works? Uh, like I mentioned before, we don't do interviews. We do a free, uh, what do you call it? Uh, so basic sewing skills kind of training. And mostly it lasts until three days. So if, if any of them are not selected, well, they can still finish that three days. They can still get certificates and they can still get uh, contact with us, meaning that after that three days, and we, we don't choose them after that, but we make sure after three days, every one of them can make at least one product by their own. So basically, if we don't hire them, they can still go back and do it at their home. And if they have any problems, for example, now they know how to make a, a baby clothing at home and we don't hire them, they can still always come to us say that, oh, I want to do this, but I don't know how to make this. How can we do? How, how can uh, I do it? So they can always come to our facility and we can always guide them and we don't charge them. So you're teaching them? Yes. You're, giving, you're empowering these women by teaching them sewing skills? Yes. And what happened throughout the year, uh, for the first one, my mom is the one uh, know how to teach people on how to do sewing. And throughout the year, whenever we do it, so it's not my mom is the one uh, training people. We get those like uh, that have been with us for at least like a year. So the next year, they are the one teaching the new people. So we want, it's something about uh, what do you call it, TOT, train or, training of trainer. So we want them to be able not just know how to make a product, but also know how to teach another person after that. So your goal is really teaching. I mean, teaching and teach other people how to teach. Yes, that's, I would say that's the, what you call it. The long vision that we have is because we want this business to sustain by itself, by the community itself. I don't want in the long run, I'm the one still running it. So at least when I'm not here or with my mom not here, they can still run by themselves, not just by uh, how to make the product. And what we have in, in line, for example, for next year, I want to start training them on how to do an online business. So starting next year, we're going to buy a few laptops and we're going to train them how to open up their own website, how to sell on online platforms. So now not, they don't just know on how to make a product, they also know how to sell a product. So it seems that, um, yeah, you're basically giving them the tools to start their own business. Yes. The right. Yes. Yeah. That, so basically that's my, what you call it in business term, that's my uh, exit plan for the business. Your exit plan, yeah. So, okay. so I want to equip them 
basically to run the community to be able to run the company by themselves and maybe in the near future if if this is doable or if if it's sustainable by itself then i would i would exit the company and perhaps i will do another company maybe in another place or with another community maybe doing something like uh, fnb food and beverages wow that's you have a with the same model yeah you have a vision you have a real long term vision for this company for this brand how would you define success i do i guess that that's what we have now so you well can you share a couple of things that make you think that oh well we are on the path or we have achieved success how would you define success in your business it seems so you know so many great things are happening so just you know name a few things that made you jump out of your bed out of joy So my definition of success changed, uh, I guess, when I started the business. So before I lost all my money on the first year, <laughs> uh, my definition of success is when can I achieve my first one million ringgit? <laughs> so that's that. That's when before I started the business. And then after that, when I lost my money, everything, and I was on the ground, and then my definition of success changed overnight. So now, uh, for me, success is not just about when i achieve that 1 million ringgit but it's more into how many people i can impact or how many people i can bring to achieve greater things so success not necessarily have to be money it can be a change of lifestyle it can be uh, a change of how the community live uh, from being in a poverty into having their own dignity to to choose in life hmm yeah Is that too deep? <laughs> oh, it's it's really good. So you have achieved success according to your definition. You are on the right path to success. I mean, you have your your business is very successful according to this definition. Because there are so many ways to define success. As you said, uh, a lot of people define success in the business purely from the financial perspective. There are so many layers, and we can dig in and see how we can define success. And yeah, your dimension of number of people you can impact, and um, and help them change their life, and also their future, their vision, uh, and also giving them possibility as well. You are in in the fifth year of your business, right? Yes. Uh, so I start the business full time in 2015. Okay. But however, I registered a business in 2012 because I wanted the number. I, I call it magical number. So it's 12, 12, 12. But at that time, I'm still working in the corporate. So I was like, I don't care. I just want the. I just want the number. <laughs> so basically, uh, I would say the birthday of the company is 12, 12, 12. And people, I mean, I can still remember it now because I'm quite a short term memory person. But when they say, "Oh, when when people ask me, so when is your company being corporated?" I say, "Oh, it's twelve, twelve, twelve." But we do it full time, two thousand fifteen. That's so handy. <laughs> but <laughs> that's great. That's a great story. Um. So since twelve, 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 what have you learned in terms of doing things, particularly when you start a business, when you run a business? There are so many opportunities. 
what are the times that you have um, you've learned that it is the time to say no to an opportunity or you know make difficult decision and then in the end it you realize that was the right decision even though it was not the most obvious decision at that time. Hmm. Wow. I guess there's so many incidents. Uh, not incidents. Events around that. Huh. I would say the first thing is uh, trying to make the company status as a social business is also a challenge because most funders uh, at that time say, why I want to help people? Why don't I just like, okay, you're just going to pay a fixed salary to the woman and that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're still a business because in the end you have to make profit. But I go against that. I said, I want to make profit and at the same time I want to I want freedom for people because I've been working in corporate worlds. I know how crazy it is working in corporate world. I work like hell in the corporate, but then it's only for other people's business. And my boss don't really care if I quit at any time. They can always rehire a new person. I don't want to create, I don't want that kind of environment in my place. So that's where in Naskit, I kind of make it a bit loose. Like, for example, if they have kids, Oh, yeah, you can bring your kids uh, over to, to our office. I mean, they can use my office to play around and everything. So I guess to hold to that core of making my company as a social business is one of the hardest decisions to do. Because if I want to get rich easily, I can just be a normal business. Why I need to care about my employee? I can just treat them as usual. as how are the companies do it? And yeah, I guess that's the one thing. Naskit, it's mostly sold online. Can we find your product in shops? As for now, it's available in the local online platform, uh, what we call it Shopee in Malaysia. And we also have in, in Shopee in Singapore and we have in Lazada. And we also have for the other international customer, we have it in our own website so they can browse it there. And apart from what you call it, uh, a baby clothing, because of the pandemic, we come up with a few other products to, to survive, I would say. <laughs> Tell us about the new products. What, what are those new products? So the new products, basically, uh, well, it's quite funny because I keep thinking, I mean, it's, it's a lockdown. It's a total lockdown uh, for the first month in March. We can't go out. Uh, I mean, now, now suddenly, like, I feel like my... Business is not essential business, so we can't we can't do work or anything. But still, I have to pay my my uh, my beneficiaries, of course. Even though the government say, oh, it's fine, we don't pay, but but logically, they still have to pay for the rental, the food, and everything. So of course, they still need money. What we do at that time is we look around what what we have in the facility, which is we have lots of fabrics now. We have rolls of fabrics, not like before. <laughs> so what we do is we create a fabric mask. Okay. So we sell our fabric mask to the local people in our area at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and then only we sell it online because for the first, uh, first month of uh, lockdown, uh, most of our current customer at that time, we call it uh, M20 to T20. So they are basically above average uh, people that earn above than average in the, in the country. Uh, which basically they earn around 5,000 ringgit per month. So they don't want to buy. They said, why should we buy from you? Because you don't have any certification from the Ministry of Health. 
and you don't you don't you might not uh, following the WHO guide and all that. But then the the one thing that I realized people needed it and it was so expensive at that time because of the demands. But people around me in in my hometown need it because they work in as like a garbage collector, mm. uh, as a guard, and they really need it and they can't afford it. So for me, it's kind of blow my mind. This basically the people that I help now is my customer. Mm-hmm. So they are the one helping us. Uh, so they are the one make uh, something like giving us idea to create this fabric mask. And after a few months, even now, Also, what happened is we use whatever fabric waste that we have in the facility. We turn it into accessories. So we have lanyards. We we create some bags, and so basically we turn from baby clothing into accessories, uh, and we sell it online because during COVID and during the pandemic, you can't do events, and nobody gonna buy baby clothing at this time. And the best thing is we change into. Uh, clothing for pets because now everyone's at home with the pets. Clothing for pets, <laughs> and they want, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. So basically, they want something unique for the pets, I guess. So that's what we do now, and we're gonna launch it next year. Perhaps people will buy. That's so cute. So is it going to be like you know the traditional Malay style clothing for pets? Yes, we're gonna go for that. <laughs> <laughs> That is so fun. Okay, uh, where people can find you online? Uh, so our website called mynaskit.com. So it's m y n a z k i d s dot com. All right. Uh, it's I mean, as for now, they're still revamping, but maybe in January we will launch it again. Okay, and your Instagram account is. My Instagram is uh, Naskit N A Z K I D S. All right. So thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. It's so fun to do this actually for me. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Did you like this episode? If you've enjoyed listening to Better Business Founder, why don't you share this podcast with a friend that could also benefit from these conversations? You can also subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and leave a review to help other people find these conversations. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at hello at betterbusinessfounder.com. Hello at betterbusinessfounder.com. And I would love to hear from you because I believe that your business is the catalyst to create the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm.